Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today I'm talking with Hila Goldman Aslan, who's the CEO and co founder of DIA Imaging Analysis. Coming off of a major funding round with seven FDA approvals and 11 channel partners, DIA Analysis has 3,000 end users and is available in 20 countries. Hila shares insight on the product's focus within the cardiac and bladder ultrasound space and how the company leverages AI to make user analysis of ultrasound images smarter and more accurate. Let's take a listen. I am so excited to spend this time with you today, Hila. I'll start off by saying one of the premises of this podcast is to try to understand the complicated ecosystem of healthcare. It doesn't seem to matter whether what you studied, there's always more to learn. There is a lot to it. And so part of what we do is really getting to know people and understanding like their piece of what we call the health IT puzzle. And so if you wouldn't mind, could you maybe take a minute to introduce yourself and sort of the key that you hold in the healthcare economy? Okay, so I'm Mila and I'm uh, the CEO and one of the co-founders at DIA. We established the company several years ago and actually uh, the company was established by women uh, founders. So uh, my partner is the CEO, she's the CEO of the company, CTO of the company, I'm the CEO of the company. And uh, there is another physician that uh, she's uh, in charge of one of the biggest Ecolabs uh, here in Israel. And she's also one of the founders in the company. So uh, we started the company uh, 
uh, with a great uh, vision of uh, helping physicians to analyze ultrasound images, basically because they're doing it mostly by visual estimation. So is that something that you all have a history in? Is that something that you studied in school? Or how did you, how did you decide that that was the business that you wanted to start? So no, I'm not coming from the, either the technical side or the clinical side. I'm coming from the business side. Okay. So my background, I study first degree for a business and law. And second degree, my master's degree was a commercial law. So I was a lawyer in the commercial space for several years. And then I started to work at startups because I realized I don't want to be a lawyer as a main professional. And I, I prefer to be on the other side as the client of the lawyers. And uh, basically, I met uh, Michal, who's the CTO of the company, and she's the one that invented the technology. She's coming from a bioengineering ba- background. She sees from the, she's more from the technical side, technical clinical side. And she had uh, an idea, uh, more of a prototype. I call it like a shoebox with some things that working in the shoebox. And then you're saying, okay, how, how can we make this real? And it was a get, very good match. And, and her, I would say, culture or guided the, during the, her master's degree was Dr. Liel, the one that I just mentioned from the Ecola. We basically got in love with each other in some sense and said, okay, that's a good fit to, to, to create here something and started the company. That's how we started Dia. That's great to hear that you get along so well with your business partners. I feel lucky in a similar way that I really jive great with my business partner. And I, you can see not everybody has that, you know? So there's really, it's really something special when all of your talents and skills and knowledge is complementary to each other. So yep. if you had to, well, since you're not the technical side, I'm sure that you could explain, you've learned a lot of technical stuff about it. Could you explain what your product does in layman's terms for people yeah. who might not be super technical like me? Yeah. <laughs> so the ultrasound space, uh, I think, is the most exciting uh, space in the imaging, medical imaging space, because we see a big shift of using ultrasound devices, even handheld devices that connect to your cell phone even in many new areas that, you know, with new users. So you will not see MRI device or CT device at your primary care or family physician office, but you are going to see ultrasound devices, handheld portable devices at the point of care, at the emergency room, ICU, paramedics, family physicians. And it's becoming an essential device to analyze, you know, all kinds of anatomic areas. Today, you can look with ultrasound almost to any anatomic area. When I say ultrasound, immediately you think about babies, yeah. right? Yep. But no, you can look at the heart and then the liver and the lungs and, you know, and the shoulder. You can look at so many uh, anatomic areas and organs. And since it's becoming cheaper and also the image quality is getting better, you can see more and more users, users using, new users using ultrasound. Now, our technology was designed to help the physicians, the ones that are using the ultrasound devices, analyze those images automatically, which means that if they are looking, let's say, at uh, the heart and they're trying to understand what if something is wrong, so we can identify all kinds of abnormalities, do some measurements and things that right now 
they're doing it visually, which is very subjective and time-consuming and highly depend on the user experience. We saw that that subjectivity needs to be eliminated, and we want to take the subjectivity out of the ultrasound analysis process and bring more automation to this process. So how many images would a clinician or healthcare provider be taking at any given time that they need to be able to like synthesize that information so quickly? So we are a software company. We're not hardware. We're not developing this, the hardware, the ultrasound device itself. We actually partner uh, partnering with ultrasound vendors like GE and Philips and, and other big uh, ultrasound vendors that adding our software inside the devices as an add-on software. And once the, the physician take an image, let's say, of the heart, then pressing our solution and getting results immediately, automatically, which otherwise you would do visually and not necessarily in the correct way. Now, the way that it's being done, so it really depends on the setting. So at the emergency room, they're looking at the heart and at the abdominal, at lungs, they're looking at all kinds of areas. But they're doing a very limited scanning because, you know, they don't have time. They want to do a triage to know left or right. There is a heart issue or not. If there is a heart issue, let's send them to a cardiology for to follow up and see what's going on there. But let's say if we're using our technology at a different setting, like at the echocardiography unit, at the echo lab, then they're taking even 50 clips of the heart to look at various areas and, and various angles of the heart to find abnormality. And over there, we bring more solution and more indication that can help them identify all kinds of things. So it really depends on the setting in terms of how many images they are taking. So is that where maybe the AI intelligence comes in at all? Like, is there any AI aspect of what it is? Is it something like... Uh, yeah, yeah. All of, our tech, all of our solution are based on AI technologies that we developed. And it's a combination between machine learning, deep learning, and computer vision. And we created a method and techniques that we know how to look at ultrasound images, which are very noisy image, by the way, versus MR and CT, and understand what kind of technology will work and how we can eventually identify those things on the, in the picture that we want to find. Yeah, because I, I mean, for an untrained eye... A lot of ultrasounds just look like blobs of... It's know. just, uh, I call it a 50, 50 shades of gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so then, so it, your software is being applied all over the place, I imagine. You are based in Israel, but where is the software being used? It can't just be in Israel, right? No, yeah. Israel, unfortunately, is not at the big market. So um, the R&D, the, most of the, the team is here in Israel. We have a subsidiary in the, in the States as well as a present in, the, in Europe. But because we are working with those big channel partners like the GEs and Philips of the world and they implement our, our software inside the devices, it's being deployed all over. So right now we are available in more than 20 countries and you can find our solution on different devices, healthcare IT system and being used in many countries. That's really great. I mean, do you feel... So, wait, did, how long did you say you have been in business? In business what? Or in this in, in this company? In business, yeah, this company. Yeah, I think more than like eight years already. Okay. 
Well, what are you most proud of when you look at back at it? Because it seems like that like that you've already stated a ton of accomplishments. I think that if I were sitting on being able to just say that, hey, I started a company and we are now working very closely with GE and Philips and available in more than 20 countries, like that's a pretty big sentence. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. We're very proud of that. I think that the most... Uh, like the things that are most motivate us here at the company and specifically myself is the situations where we suddenly see a tweet in Twitter of a physician that we don't know and saying that he using our solution. And we had some a physician like that during COVID that is an ICU physician saying that he uses our solution on COVID patient to track and monitor heart issues. And, you know, for our, like, from my point to see that kind of a react, like, and tweet, it was like, oh my God, yeah, it's really like working, it's been deployed, and it's bringing a lot of value to both, you know, patients and physicians. So those kind of things, actually, those are the moments that, you know, actually tears are coming out and... And we're very excited. Of course. I mean, I keep bringing it up to guess that like there's two people that you need to make proud of in your life and it's your eight-year-old self and your 80-year-old self. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also like, how do you think, did you have any idea what you were going to do for a living when you were say eight or 10 years old? No, when I was 10 years old, I'm trying to think like what age was that? I can tell you that I was raised by a single mom Mm -hmm. and she was independent. She had her own business. So from my perspective, it was never an issue of things that you can or cannot do. And when I look at my mom, like going to work and and pushing things and creating things and and still having, raising us, myself and my brother, my perspective is was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do it. I can be independent. I can I can do things like that. So I didn't know what I'm going to do, but I knew that I'm going to initiate things and move things and be in the business space. That's yeah. for sure. But I didn't know what. I can relate to that. I was raised also by a single mom and I remember coming across the idea when when kind of the outside world gives you either this message that you can't do something. It was really hard for me to believe that. I was like, what do you mean women yeah. can't do something? We're doing it all at home. Like who else is doing it? <laughs> yeah. And I, I assume uh, like me, you were very independent. So you did things like that others didn't do early. So from that perspective, every experience like that, it was like, yeah, I can do that if that he can do it, I can do it. It wasn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh-huh. Like roll up your sleeves. It's gonna get done. Might as well get to it. Yeah. Well, what about advice wise? So if you, I mean, I won't try to predict how old you are. You look kind of young. But like, if you, <laughs> if you could um, give yourself some advice of like when you were just starting, having knowing what you know now. And looking back at like maybe your perspective when you were just starting your journey, what do you think you like, what do you think would have helped you? Do you wish you would have known that could have made it, I don't know, the challenge is easier? Yeah, I think that uh, I would have told myself then that I think the first thing that's coming to my mind is, you know, there were so many nights that I didn't sleep over things that weren't today in today perspective wasn't worth not sleeping because mm-hmm. of 
Uh-huh. That's the, I think, the advice that I would have said. Not to take, like, everything, every every issue, every challenge was, oh, my God. And how can, and, and things that, you know, today you understand that that's easy. That will be solved. That's not, like, today there's a lot of issues that I can see every day and I'm not, like, getting disturbed about it. I know it's going to be fixed. Back then it was, oh, my God, that's uh, what's going to happen now. So, do you think that's? Do you think that comes from like trusting yourself or trusting like your capacity to handle problems or difficult things? I'm not sure. I think it's a, maybe it's a maturity that uh, eventually you know when the company when you're running a company and it's growing. So it's the same thing with kids that you're saying small kids, small troubles, big kids, big troubles. <laughs> so I think that's the difference. Because when the company is bigger, there are more trouble. And when you look back then, you're saying, oh, my God, that was easy. That wasn't really a trouble. So it's more of an experience and maturity. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, of course. And I, I think there is a way, you know, you, you mentioned about, I wish that I had consulted more with people that had more experience than me. Yeah. Back then. I think that will probably would have helped. So my advice for young women that want to, to run a startup and to initiate the startups is to find those mentors and people that they can get advice, hear podcasts, go to lectures, go to meetups. I think that's, you know, from that perspective, you're getting a lot of reassurance and a lot of problem-serving and experience from people that have been there and done that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. I think that that's one thing that's like just an informational interview. I think that young people might forget that people love talking about themselves. <laughs> and especially if yeah. they learn something, it's actually quite flattering to be able to share like, hey, this is what I know and I would be happy to pass it on. Whereas, you know, I mean, even my younger self would probably be a little bit timid of like, oh no, why is that person going to talk to me? But yeah. because you asked. Sometimes just because you ask is a good enough reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When I think about your worry situation or like and things that like we tend to get anxious over, one thing that has helped me in the past has been asking myself the question, is this going to be important a year from now? Like whatever it is I am upset about, will it matter literally 12 months from now? And if it if the answer is yes, then like okay, then it it probably warrants me like having this emotional response. And if the answer is no, then I it helps me to like yeah. okay, calm down. <laughs> I had a, a few years ago a mentor that told me to look at that also almost the same way but asking different questions because a lot of the times that we are having a challenge or we think that we have a problem. So the best thing he told me to ask is what is the likely, what is the worst thing that can happen mm. if this uh, problem will eventually happen? Like this, like the scenario that you're thinking that is going to happen. What is the worst case? What is the probability that it will happen? And sometimes suddenly you're saying, oh, this is 30% or 50% or something like that. And actually, oh, really? Did I just say that? Then maybe it's not such a big problem. And also, what can I do? Like, what will help me to, to solve it? Like, do I need to get an advice? Do I need to just sit tight and wait? Do I, like, and once you understand, and also, what is the a lot of the time from asking the question, you already have the answer, and 
first of all, it's not such a big problem. And the answer is already there. So uh, just to give proportion to, to the things that we think are big. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, through these conversations, there's been some really good advice that people have given. And one of them is similar to what you're saying. A woman was sharing that um, sometimes when you imagine the worst case scenario and and let's say that the likelihood of it happening is actually 100%. That's 100% you're going to get to the worst case scenario. But once you start to identify what does that actually mean and how mm. would I handle it? And yeah. it's not as bad or scary that you're like, yeah. even if that does happen, I can manage it. It'll be okay. Yeah. And that's one thing that's helped people calm down as well. Yeah. Is there anything burning on your mind that people should know about you or your organization that I have not asked? Yeah, I think that the context of this uh, meeting and, and interview is uh, around our conversation is around women's founders or or. I'm very proud to say that almost 50% of our company are women. I'm always happy to, to help women and young women. And I think that, you know, if, if anybody that hear this conversation would like to reach out, they can reach out to me through LinkedIn. Usually LinkedIn is the best. So, and I will be happy to give my, my two cents about things that uh, I've been through. And yeah, and uh, I hope to see more, more uh, girls, women out there. Uh, in the startup world, I don't think we have enough. I think it's getting a little bit better, but still the numbers are not high enough. But uh, I think we will get there. I believe that. Yeah, we still have happen. a ways to go, but I think that you're right. That like for folks that are already in this space, that one of the best things that we can do is to support other women that are you know following our our lead. So thank you for saying that. You answered my question before I even asked. So. <laughs> Where people will follow you, they should find you LinkedIn. And what's your company website? Yep. Okay. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you for this time today. It's really nice talking with you. You too. It was great. And, uh, you know, on your next trip, maybe it should be again to Israel. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.